We've got an amazing live panel coming up on Sunday, January 24th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the 826LA spot in Echo Park. We've got Kenya Barris, the creator of Blackish, his co-showrunner, Jonathan Groff, Mike Scully, who has worked on The Simpsons, Parks and Rec, and a million awesome things, and Lila Zuckerman and Nora Zuckerman, a writing team who have worked on Haven, Suits, and Fringe. This should be a really fun panel. Please join us by finding a link for tickets at writerspanel.tumblr.com or follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. I'll be posting the link for tickets constantly. Don't unfollow me. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writers Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 400 writers on the show, so go back and check the archives. I'm sure you'll find more creators and more shows that you're interested in. I'm a writer myself, having written with my partner Ben Acker for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, FX's Cassius and Clay, among others. We've also written comics from Marvel, Image, Dynamite, and more. We created a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Maybe you'd like it. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more info. Let me know who you want to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, uh, and follow me on Tumblr at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It always makes me feel good about myself. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. And on to our panelists. So both Chris and Jason serve as executive vice presidents of U.S. drama development and programming for Sony Pictures Television. Sounds daunting, doesn't it? (laughs) Wow. In this role, both guide the development of scripted programming for drama series, working with writers and producers on projects for broadcast, cable, and streaming outlets. Um, during his tenure at SPT, Parnell has developed many of the studio's high-profile dramas, including Outlander, The Blacklist, The Player, Franklin and Bash, Power, Zombieland, Helix, Preacher, and Breaking Bad, among many others. Parnell joined SPT in 2003. He holds an MFA in acting from the Oslo Conservative Florida State. He is also founding member of the JHRTS. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. yes. And your wife. My wife. Um, and Who during his tenure at SVT, Claude Felter has helped develop many of the studio's high-profile dramas, including Bloodline, Masters of Sex, Justified, The Night Shift, The Get Down, Mad Dog, Sneaky Pete, Houdini, Doyle, Unforgettable, Damages, Drop Dead Diva. Um, Claude Felter joined SPT in 2006, and prior to Sony, he served as director and then vice president of development for Spelling Television, where he developed the series Wanted and Saving Grace. Uh, Previously to that, he worked as director of development for John Wells Productions. And in addition, he is the producer of films uh, Crabgrass Manifesto, which screened at the Sundance Film Festival, and Something Close to Heaven, which made its television debut on the Sundance Channel. Please welcome our moderator and panelists. Um, (laughs) Who are these guys? Uh, Yeah, I really should have done some research. Um, Thank thank you guys so much. It's it's amazing to see so many people here. This is great. I usually talk to groups of writers, and you guys are so much better looking. (laughs) Insane. Um, None taken. Um, 
All right, let's let's start with this. And this is why. Which, by the way, before you start, if you're yes. not listening to the Nerdist Writers panel, you have to. Thank you. Right? It's excellent. It's excellent. It is, if you if you want to know what's going on with the writers you are working with or hope to work with, uh, they just come on the podcast and talk. But it's a master's class in, I mean, in yeah. process and 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 how to develop and how to stay on the air and how to handle people and how to handle mm-hmm. studio people. And <laughs> it's, a, it's truly an amazing thing, and, and Ben just goes deep with, with the writers that come on it. It really is an excellent, excellent podcast. I'm glad you enjoy it. I love it. <laughs> I'm a- the people here, for the most part, who have come to hear you guys speak are... Thank you, uh, by the way. ...in, in assistant positions, uh, generally... Did you guys both have the traditional arc of rising through the ranks from assistanthood? Um, I I actually did skip or um, did not um, subject myself to <laughs> the uh, assistant to an agency step, um, which I will say I think in, in uh, one moment in my career probably harmed it a bit because I didn't have that class to graduate with. Mm-hmm. Um, but just me being me, it probably would have actually... Um, set me back a little bit. Um, so we actually have a, a slightly similar backgrounds where we both moved out here to be actors. I did that for a while. It really worked um, well for both of us. Yes. <laughs> As we got the right carpet. <laughs> we are acting like development executives yes, right end. now. <laughs> um, yes, yes, and. Um, so, you know, my path was a little untraditional in the sense where I did the whole acting thing, uh, went back to school, and thankfully um, graduated and studied film at USC. Um, long story short, came out and did the whole writing thing and producing thing. Um, all of that was relevant because all of that informed my point of view to what I was ultimately obviously going to be doing. Um, and I think part of that was simply just being a kid from Indiana. I didn't really know that you could move to Hollywood and be an executive. So I was sort of finding my way from like 19 to 24 and just trying to figure out like what um, Hollywood had to offer me that felt, you know, most appropriate in the early mid-90s. We'll call it the mid-90s. Um, so, um, I'm, I'm curious to yes. hear, and I apologize in no, advance. I'm going to interrupt you guys a whole bunch Do it. to kind of dig deeper. But I'm curious to hear about the things that you gained that are applicable to your job now from having studied acting and writing and right. producing, like having a hand in all of these different aspects of the industry? Well, you, know, you get to see it from the other side and experience it from the point of view of uh, an actor coming to the room to audition or from an actor studying you know, the, the page to really understand the character. And then that's sort of the same with the writer. You know? So I think in early in the career, it really um, informed our notes from knowing that the, the note you're about to give will have ramifications. So understanding the ramifications of that note and really understanding how a script is broken down. Um, and so I think, you know, without even knowing it or planning it, that process, being a, in a room and, and, and beating out a story and then suddenly being on the other side and, like, Completely. that's what their goal is, that's what the objective is, there's a couple beats missing here, let's try to figure out what that beat is, opposed to do the knee-jerk, that's ah, not working, let's come up with a new story, because you, you really... Um, I don't know. When, when you understand the process, it's much easier to understand the goal. And when you understand the goal, our job is to help you get there. And it's not, it's not our job to, to imprint or put our vision on the writer. It's really our job to kind of just hone in on what it is that they're desiring to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of the flip side of that, uh, you mentioned you know, having not gone through the yeah. assistant process, 
You didn't have Well, no, I was an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was definitely agency. an assistant. It's just not assistant to an agent. Yeah. Um, but not having that graduating class, right. what was missing for you? Um, you know, I think it was just the, the greatest thing about being an assistant at an agency or to an agent is you just get a mass understanding of the business um, and all the players. So I had to sort of constantly teach myself that um, in the beginning. And, you know, I think it was also, you know, my my foundation, my friends were basically people from USC or, you know, people I had worked with and accumulated. They weren't necessarily as broad in scope um, as, you know, the people you have access to as assistants to uh, an agent or a studio exec or a network exec, et cetera. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because I worked for talent. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to jump ahead a little bit yep. and just talk about the... Because you did come up as, as an assistant yeah. in various places. Yeah, I, right? I picked up phones for five years mm-hmm. uh, all over the place from... Um, from a studio to a, you know a deal with two writers for a little while, I bounced around networks and stuff, and then I spent the last two years of my um, uh, as an assistant at uh, uh, at CAA uh, working for um, Adam Berkowitz there. So, yeah. so I'm curious to hear about the transition from yeah. assistanthood, <laughs> and I think these guys are probably curious about that as well. Yeah, I mean, I I think what was so I think what was so helpful being an assistant is, and I talk a lot about this with the assistants at Sony, is that, you know, as an assistant, you, you've got two things that you really got to do. I mean, it's, it's graduate school, basically. This, you know, being an assistant in Hollywood is a is an apprenticeship program, basically. And I looked at it two ways. There was, there was the tuition. And then there was the class. And the tuition was all the crap you got to do. <laughs> Sending scripts and ma- setting meetings and, and staying late meetings. and resetting <laughs> meetings and then resetting, sorry, and re- <laughs> resetting meetings and, 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 just, and just getting, you know, m- m- you know, doing the business of the assistanthood. Mm-hmm. The class was getting a chance to listen in on the calls. And I got to, I mean, I got to listen to big, huge negotiations on, 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 you know, on some of my favorite shows. I got to, I got to hear the, from a development executive, talk to writers. And I think, you know, at the time, certainly for me, I'd come out to try and uh, try my hand at acting. And when I listened to, when I listened to Sarah Timberman talk to writers, it was like the light went on for me. It was, I could, I mean, because talking to actors and talking to writers is the same language. I just, and it was, it was just an amazing thing to listen to how to break a script down, how to understand story structure, how to, you know, how to, how to pull through a character over not just one episode, but a long series and think about it like that. And it was just, it was just an amazing thing. And it was, I couldn't have it any other way. I had to, I had to do it. And I think the most, the, the, the hardest part, because the assistant job is so difficult in terms of managing your time and then having the ability to actually do the work afterwards, especially work that you're not necessarily going to be called upon to, you know, to um, talk about. But what, what really informs that process is basically going home and pretending like you have your boss's job. 
and doing the work. So when you're on that call and you're, you can be an active listener and you have contacts and you can either, you know, hear another executive or, or your own boss, you know, get it right or get it wrong. But that's what you're learning from. And your point of view is only informed by the amount of work and effort you put into it. So, you know, when we've done these things in the past and, and talk, spoken to different classes, it's the hardest thing because it feels like such a waste of time. 90% of the time, but it all amounts and adds up to something. And if you can go home every night and do everything your boss is going to do that night and beyond to a certain extent, then you will be ready and you won't be remotely green when you are given the opportunity because you will have done the job. And I say that knowing how hard it is when you are there at 8 a.m. and leaving at 8 p.m. or, or beyond. And, and um, <laughs> As we stare down the Sony assistant squad here. Um, and it's challenging, you know, to get all that in on the weekend. But that's, that does, that you, you, it really does help you catch up when you're afforded the opportunity, whether it's two years from now or five years from now, you will, that all will amount to something. Um, you guys both bring up something. I think we're getting to this a little sooner than we anticipated. Let's get, I'm let's really go. curious to hear about it. <laughs> you both mentioned to- the language of talking to actors or writers. Um, so much of what all of us do yeah. is about translation. Right. Uh, so much of the collaboration of making TV is about translation. Can you guys talk about that and learning how to do that well? Yeah, uh, I, and, I mean, <laughs> it's a big question. I, it is. It's a big question. I, I'll break it down in some ways, and, and then I'll repeat and, what you say, and, and then, then I'll have yeah, we'll figure it out. Perfect. <laughs> That's good. I love that. Uh, uh, I think that I think at first off, it takes a while to learn a, I mean, to learn a language on how to express yourself on the instinct that you feel when you read a script, and to try and talk about it creatively. I'm not saying that there is. You know that there's a rule book for how to talk to writers, and that you have to use, you know, phrases like "Can you hang a lantern on that?" or whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, but 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 there's there certainly is a lingo that we use when we talk to writers. But uh, but what I'm what I'm saying is that the 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 learning curve of that is is when you read a, when you read something and you get an emotional response to it, or that's right, or that doesn't feel right, or why doesn't that feel right? It that it takes time to be able to translate that instinct. First off, to listen to yourself in the first place. To say, and, and trust yourself that you have a bump, or you have a you know, you have a, a, a natural pull towards a part of that, or an overall arc or something. And then to be able to trust yourself enough to say, alright, I can f- I'm not, I'm not getting where it needs to go from here to here and being able to then talk to a writer about that. Someone who, by the way, has poured their heart and their soul and a hell of a lot more time into that script than you reading it overnight and then giving them you know, your reaction to it. And we are fully aware of that and, you know, and, and honor that with a writer. Our job, you know, our job is to try and make that script the best that it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that we all, you know, I'm going a little off topic here, but I think that writers will tend to look at our jobs and go, they're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to 
fit it into some box. Mm-hmm. I promise you, we really aren't. <laughs> I, at least from where I sit, and Jason does, because we've been working together for mm-hmm. a decade, a decade, um, <laughs> and can read each other's minds at this point. <laughs> that that, that it, we really, we really do try and take a piece and go. This was something we pitched. Mm-hmm. This was something we loved when you mm-hmm. came and pitched it to us. This is what you brought to the pitch and what I loved of the pitch. Did you translate it into 60 pages? And if it isn't, how can I, how can I be, you know, whisper in your ear a little bit and say, if, you know, this, remember? <laughs> remember that pitch? Mm-hmm. Remember how awesome that was when you, eh? can we find our way back around to that? And the best version of that script goes the distance. Can we Anything that you try and fit into a box on it, it, right. it feels fit into a box. Of course. Right? Uh, I, went, and, and I we danced around a bunch of stuff. We see but. it on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I want to get a little more specific and kind of go back to, for both of you, your, your early days mm-hmm. in developing and or, or you know, managing a show and talk about that learning curve of exactly what Chris mm-hmm. is talking about. Uh, were there specific, do you remember a lightning bolt or do you remember a specific show or moment or script or call? Where you said, "Oh, this this is how it's done." Oh God. <laughs> um, no, I mean not in terms of a sp- specific moment, but I do think the struggle in the beginning is is trying to identify the note that will truly make it better, and the note is just something that speaks to you. Yes. And interesting. Per, by by chance, is then just kind of lateral. How do you, you tell know, the it, difference? That's a really hard question. It, it is, and it's still it's still something we have to bounce off of each other, you know, internally all the time. It's like, okay, well, that's that's good, but that's not necessarily going to make the journey any any stronger or bolder. It's just your 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 vision that you're projecting onto it. Right. So that's like kind of the internal debate you have to have. Um, but to Chris's point, it definitely usually speaks to the spirit of what you're struggling with. And so whether it's, you know, we all do this as executives. Well, this is, you know, this is the bad idea, but, and then you pitch it. (laughs) Um, But that does really usually amount to, you know, um, further kind of articulating and identifying what the issue is. And hopefully that, you know, illuminates. I mean, that was probably in the beginning, I guess, going back to your question, in the beginning, that was always sort of the dance of trying to figure that out. Um, You know, I think the hardest thing, Hardest note to give still, um, which as a young executive I probably obsessed on more then than I do now. Uh, dialogue notes, you know, because it's it's it's, it's so subjective. It's so subjective, <laughs> and you know, we all have our little allergies when it comes to certain rhythms and, and dialogue. Um, and you know, you're you have to sort of manage dialogue differently for every network out there, whether it's cable or broadcast or streaming. And so it's still, you know, it, it's we try to always talk less about the dialogue and and more about what you're trying to communicate in that scene or where the character is at that moment, and sort of. Just have a dialogue discussion around that. Because part of the giving notes process is, first off, you know, <laughs> figuring out what, well, how the hell you feel about it in the first place and how to translate that into something that makes some coherent sense. And then the other big step really is how to, how to deliver that to a writer, mm-hmm. you know? And there's, there's so much that goes into that because there are writers that won't, hear you I mean that are gonna they're gonna they'll it's 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 hard to put yourself out there for anybody and and the trust that 
a writer gives us as executives or 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 other writers when they read their material i just it's it is a little mind-boggling to me to say i've done something and i hand it to you and it's it's it, it's hard to to then hear you know a, constructive criticism on it. So there's all sorts of walls that are put up. Mm-hmm. And part of our job is to try and find a way to relate to that writer mm-hmm. and and not break down the walls because we understand that they're all there, but try and find a way to give them the note that's going to be the most effective to their personal creative process. And the only way to do that is to just know them, you know, and and have a you know have a long-standing relationship with them, or you, you poke at it a little bit until you do, you know. Because mm-hmm. yeah. um, there's no there's no like bullet points on the notes that you should be given, um, you know, to any you know insert writer. I think that's part of the learning process in the beginning as well. Is just to Chris's point, understanding who you're talking to, and actually this will help you in any aspect of your career, knowing how to read the room. And knowing your audience, knowing what they need to hear, knowing when the conversation's sort of over and you need to shift to a different subject, and um, you know, not always. It's it's it's, it's again, it's not about you as an executive. It's really about the talent and knowing how to manage that talent, and that can work in any relationship, whether it's communicating with an agent, communicating with a network executive, and I think that's sort of the. One of the you know, biggest tricks to the industry as a whole is there's so many Type A personalities in, in, in this industry, and this really you know goes to I think managing uh, people overall well and listening to them. Yeah, I mean there there's they'll give you verbal cues and nonverbal cues, mm-hmm. but they're you know it's 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 listening on how that call's going, how that you know right. conversation's going, and hearing them out. Uh, I, I think that. If you can get on the same page with them and understand that you're on their side when it you know when it comes down to um, you know a particular note or or or, or a goal of uh, you know for what we're trying to accomplish in the script, I think they'll be more receptive to you. But it is um, that is a very long it's a learned process. <laughs> when I think. Trial and error. Well, it's trial and error. I suppose is the best way. Yeah. Reading the room is. I mean, we hear this all the time. Right. You know, from writers, from executives. This is a hard thing to learn if you're not predisposed to it. Can you guys even talk about how how to start doing that? I mean, you talk well, about I think you're going to get feedback, right, verbal and otherwise, but, you know... As I was about to interrupt you, what I was going to say is I think it's actually not always having to be the one to talk. <laughs> I think there's <laughs> there's so much... Um, there, uh, there's always a desire to, to be the one um, taking control of a conversation, and there's so much to be learned by the person or the room itself when you kind of just sit back and allow yourself to really digest it and, and kind of watch what's going on. That, that's a great point. Um, these are, I, you also touched on something I, I was really curious to hear about, which is, you know, you guys talk not just to writers, but to, you're often the conduit to mm-hmm. develop, or, uh, to network executives, to agents. <coughs> are the languages different there? Uh, and again, we're generalizing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. How's that? Um, well, you know, it's we're in the heart of broadcast pitch season right now. So, you know, on one hand, and especially in it, being an independent studio executive, you know, it's a partnership and it's a relationship that has to be respected. And, and 
for the most part, friendships and, and understanding that you have with the, the network executives. But you're also in a position where, okay, sometimes you, you need to sell it and not smell it. And what I mean by that is when you're selling, to, you know, we sell to 34 different places. So... Um, for the most part, I love thinking that we believe in everything we take out, but the reality is sometimes we don't. Um, believe believe in, in a way in which it speaks to me as an art, as, a, as somebody who loves artists. Um, but, you know, so you, it's hard sometimes because you need to not project your taste onto somebody else and let them, let them you know, again, just kind of come to it on their own. Mm -hmm. Part of our job is, I mean, as well as reading writers and and the notes processes, understanding a network executive's taste. Yeah. We, you know, as Jason says, we have friends and colleagues and, and folks that we've worked with for years. And so much of our job is throwing darts at their dartboard and seeing, and seeing where, you know, where their taste lies and selling to them. We are in a very lucky position at, not only being a studio executive, being a studio executive in an independent studio, where we get to buy and we get to sell, and so, um, and so, it's a you know, it's a, certainly a daunting task to try and understand the taste of thirty different you know networks, but that's that's part of the gig, and and um, you know, and understanding how best to. Uh, set a project up so that it goes the distance. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say, no, and I think, you know, because I know we talked more about network executives right there, but I think this for agents and, and, and for network executives and, and kind of producers and anybody, it's it's knowing that everybody, it's respecting everybody's position and job in the business. So we all have a job to do. So, you know, you have to allow that person to do their job. Totally. And you just have to communicate and you just have to like, all right, so an agent's calling and pitching somebody they may or may not believe in, but it is their job, or a producer selling something that they, you know, don't have access to the hottest IP in town, but they have access to this one writer that they found and they believe in, but they mm-hmm. have a hard time selling. It's just, for us, especially, again, because, you know, we're independent, it's just realizing that everybody has a job to do, and it's just so much easier when you just respect uh, the uh, the other end of that call for the job that they have, just it's easy. what do you guys do when someone on the other end of that call doesn't make it easy? How do you remain even handed, and how do you move forward with the project? You have to be direct, as direct as you can. I, I think that people will people respect you when you tell them how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that passing is one of the hardest things to do. Like that's another learned skill. It sucks. Yeah. But it but it's one of the hardest things to do. What I've found is that if you tell someone honestly how you feel and why it's not right for you or for the company or for, you know, or for the project or whatever, then I think they will if they no one likes it. Hell, we get passed on all the time, too. You know what I mean? I think the one thing that I can tell writers is, you know, hey, we just got passed on, you know, earlier today from something else. It hurts, but if the more direct that you are and say, this is how I come out with it, sorry that it didn't work out, I think that, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, they'll respect it. And never never making it personal. You can't. You know, just... Whether it's to an agent or a producer or, or... a network executive just not get not not getting the the weeds of making it personal. It's just kind of talking about it. It's a hard thing to do though it because is. this business is it's very personal. Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it's 
the people you work with are your friends who are you know yeah. your contacts. It's, mm-hmm. it's very messy. Uh, so how do you how do you find that balance? We're getting deep, you guys. Well, yeah. well you know, I mean, <laughs> I think all right. th- actually, I think this is one of the reasons why TV tends to get along so much better than like feature people. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to work together <laughs> two days later, <laughs> yeah. so you don't really have too much. You can't time burn every ability. bridge. You <laughs> to burn every bridge, yeah, yeah. and and as a result, you have to you know treat each other with respect, and mm-hmm. and um, you know you to what we we're talking about earlier, you sort of sort of learn everybody's uh, point of view. And you know how to manage to that or with that. Because we definitely talk to everybody slightly differently for no other reason than it's just kind of, all right, well, this is how you successfully communicate and engage with that person. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. I, I wanted to jump on something else, but we'll move on. Oh, what else? What else you got? I'm gathering my thoughts. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, you guys, I want to get to some practical, I want to get to some real nuts and boltsy things. Great. Uh, you have assistants. We do. Uh, so we do. We have amazing ones. What what makes them amazing? Um, well, <laughs> so many things. Um, I'm going to start general, just in terms of like. Uh, Pretend we're not talking Pretend about you. Yes, exactly. They all sit like right in this little area. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, I think it's it's being able to look ahead, um, prioritize, which is always a hard um, skill to learn because everybody has certain uh, different things that are, are important to them. Um, to not get too, as this is, I think, true at any level in your career, to not get caught up in the drama, not to allow um, whether it's assistant drama or executive drama or just. It's so easy to create chaos in this business, but it's not about that. It's about the work. It's about the art. And if you just stay focused on that, I think at the end of the day, it's easier for everybody to work together. And I think, you know, um, especially when you're younger in your career, it's, it's, a little, every, it's so competitive. Um, so it's, it's often easier to get caught up in that. And I think, you know, our team especially, um, it's amazing at supporting each other and working with each other and, you know, really putting the, the work ahead of the, the individual. And I think that actually pays off in the long run regardless because, you know, again, you're kind of graduating with your class and you're doing it together. Um, that was a little... No, that's that good. It? All right, that's good. <laughs> no, I mean, I think uh, 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 I think the you know the hallmark of a great assistant is is anticipating yeah. anticipating the next step and, und- and and trying to see the big picture through the minutia. The minutia is the job of mm-hmm. an assistant, and and believe me, we are all someone's assistant, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's the way that it is. We have to deal with the minutia for the folks that we work for, and um, and you got to min- deal with minutia for us. And it, and it and it uh, and to be able to try and get a bigger picture of you know what are, what are the overall goals of of the job that's the only way that you're going to learn the job is too hard the job is too hard to just be here for a paycheck you know mm-hmm. come and you know we have great jobs like it's awesome like we get to work in an in the entertainment industry and we get to play uh with you know, we get to we get to play with making television, making movies, and, and creating something. That's awesome. I know that sometimes it can be wearisome, <laughs> but and it also goes to like, don't, on one hand, take it seriously. 
in the sense where you know how to prioritize and, and really think ahead. On the other hand, don't take it all so seriously. Yes, we will. We will. Um, we will pretend you're curing cancer. Yeah, but, but we're not. All right. Find the humor in all of it because yeah. it's. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure we have time for questions. I, I kind of want to get into some bigger questions about okay. the industry at large, but I want to make sure we have quest- time for questions for you guys. Do you have questions? A few? Good. Yes? Great. Okay. Let's do a couple of these, and then we'll kind of come okay. in and out for a bit. Who does have a question? Raise your hand. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk over with this recorder. Because <laughs> I want to make sure we get it. You're going to stand up. It looks like a taser. (laughs) You can stand right there. You don't have to get near me. We'll see how it goes. Hi. Oh, Um, keep your questions brief. Think of your question now. Condense it to one sentence. (laughs) Make sure it ends in a question mark. Make sure it doesn't begin with the letter I. Okay. No pressure <laughs> for me. You're You're the first one. Good. Um, So we were talking about your assistance. Um... If you have two resumes in front of you, one is very specific, someone with a goal that's like, I want to do this certain kind of television, and somebody has a resume that's a little bit more broad, they've kind of dipped their toe in everything. Is there a reason you'd hire one assistant over the other? Is there certain jobs you'd hire one assistant for and certain jobs you'd hire for the other? Well... My most recent assistant, I interviewed 15 people. <laughs> Mine Jason's <more> very <laughs> thorough. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't pay a whole lot of it attention to resumes, which is probably the wrong thing to say in here. Um, but the resumes were managed towards me, so somebody did. Um, I think for, for, for me, honestly, it's just about a connection and trust. Um, I think for the most part, most people can be trained, and it's really about knowing that I'm going to spend more time with you than I will with anybody in my life who I'm supposed to love. So, <laughs> so it's like, all right, is this going to work? Um, so that's, you know, for the most part, that's sort of where I come from. And I know that's a little out of the ordinary. You're building a, I mean, you're building a family. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, trying to get someone who can think uh, on their feet and be nimble and have a good attitude about it all, I think, are the qualities that you can't teach. Um, I think the other stuff, I think you can. The, the, the big question for us when we hire someone is, you know, do you love this? Do you love it? You know, I think, I think we, try, we try to pick away at that in the interview process is, I mean, do you love this? Because if you do, then you'll stick around. It is amazing to how it. many people come in and it really feels like they could be interviewing for anything. Um, you know, and it's a hard balance because you need to be professional. You also need to have a personality (laughs) and you need to have, you know, uh, you need to be passionate about this. So that's a lot to kind of balance in that 20, 25 minute interview window. Um, but that's, you know, it's just, it's as silly as it sounds. It's just kind of come in and be yourself and have a conversation. And, you know, you either deserve to be in this business. And what I mean by that is you care enough to be in this business or you don't. Yeah. It, it becomes easier, I think, as the longer you're in it, yeah. to smell when someone is not passionate yeah. about it. So yeah, if you have a plan B, then you're probably not in the right place right now. <laughs> Which yeah. is a hard thing. It is. I mean, it's, it's many hard times you have to have a plan Throwing B. yourself yeah. into it. But making that turn. Um, yeah. What kind of hours do you guys keep? 
<laughs> well, um, I have a long, long. Beware of a follow-up question. Okay, yes. we have slightly different schedules because he's married and has kids. Um, <laughs> my my ritual is I'm up at six a.m. reading by six ten. I read till about nine fifteen. I'm in the car at work by nine forty-five or ten. <coughs> They're pending the day slash if I have a dinner or something till about seven thirty-ish, give or take. Um, go home, decompress for about an hour and a half, maybe two max, and then do about another hour, hour and 15 minutes worth of work. Yeah. Yeah, I've got kids, and I try to spend the <laughs> night time with them, and um, and I'm just not, I've, I've found through trial and error, I'm just not a great nighttime reader. I can do it, um, but I think that I'll, I'll save the nighttime reading for, Specs and something that I don't have to give nope. notes on, um, but for something that takes a lot of attention or cuts and stuff, but it's something that takes a lot of attention, I'll get up really early. But the kids get up really early, so um, I have <laughs> no, to. He will email I at four a.m. So I'm. Sometimes, <laughs> so I, I wake I'm up, up feeling behind every morning. Sorry about I'm like, that. Damn you! <laughs> nothing else from tonight. Don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. No, it's awesome. Uh, what kind of hours do your assistants keep? Um, they're pretty hellacious. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it and we're like? we're trying to make that better. It's, They're it's, I don't it's, know about sixty five hours. Like how 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 long are you in the office before uh, Jason gets there? Speak up, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> Usually get in around nine. Okay. You leave uh, between eight and ten. Yeah. I mean this this it's per- all of your awake time. <laughs> yes, all of your awake time. Yeah. This this is a particularly busy yes. time of the year, um, which I'll follow up by saying all the time is a busy time of the year, but right now is a particularly busy time of the year because you know we're out in network pitches. You've got three months to sell as many network shows as you can, and the Jenga puzzle that Beth and Drew and Nick and Maya have to do uh, is I, I, it's mind-bending because anything you set changes. Everything you set changes, and it changes multiple times on the on on a whim uh, of of a network or a writer or someone you know can't can't drive from one place to another quick enough, and it's just and I and it's and it's it's just very difficult to kind of put all that together. The stuff that they keep in their heads um, is uh, mind boggling to me, and be able to then carry on a coherent conversation with us when we're when we're firing questions at them uh, is is. Uh, Highly admirable. <laughs> um, since you brought it up, yes, it is pitching season. It's network pitching season. That's correct. Um, what is it like out there right now? What are you encountering? And we should say you are drama guys. Yes, yes. Uh, so you're going out with hour longs, hour two long. networks. The, you know, uh, <coughs> I think. I mean, for us, I got to say. There's trends right now, yes. but the reality is for us, being an independent, um, are there's it's not very different than past years, and what I mean by that is you know we have to go kind of above and beyond. Um, we have to do a little bit more work on packaging. We have to come at things slightly left of center. Um, so we sort of take that approach to any project that comes into us and um, and in and, and any genre. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a result, that's just the job. 
Um, if you're looking at like where the trends are this season, they tend to be you know looking for soaps, trying to figure out the high concept stuff. You know what's going to break through the clutter. Um, you know, character-driven procedurals haven't really kind of clicked in yet, but we kind of predict they will probably by mid-September. Um, Why do you think that is? I think, you know, networks tend to, uh, before I answer that question, I'll say that Jason and I have the, are very fortunate to be able to pitch cable and network mm-hmm. at the same time. There are, not, there are a lot of our brethren in town who pitch mostly cable and mostly network, but we get to do both, so we can kind of see trends in yeah. both. Uh, I, I think what we've found out is that, you know, um, for, for networks, uh, we'll tend to kind of get fixated on a, you know, on a, on, on something that they feel they really, really need and want to try and fill that until kind of clearing their head for new stuff. I think a good pitch will sell, right? Mm-hmm. No matter what. Well, at least we hope that, that a good pitch will sell no matter what. However, you know, I think that just all cards on the table, Empire was a screaming hit. I think people are interested in drafting off a little bit of that. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't. That but suffice to say, we'll you know we'll go out and try and pitch um, you know some soaps yeah. right now, but, and, and then if, a- and then what Jason's saying is that maybe when they're kind of done buying a bunch of soaps, maybe they'll buy some procedurals right, right. too. It doesn't mean we won't pitch them now, but I think we're trying to do our best to um, you know predict to, the rhythm. to predict sure. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, it. That kind of brings me to the question I didn't ask earlier, yeah. which is you know knowing Chris a little bit and certainly knowing all of the shows that you guys have worked on. Um, how do you balance the passion that you clearly have for projects with the actual marketplace? Yes. I, I think, that, as Jason said earlier, we may not, um, we may not uh, 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 be emotionally connected to every single uh, type of project we come out one of us may like soaps a little more. One of us may like science fiction a little more. It doesn't matter. Like your, per, your personal, Guess who? your personal taste. <laughs> you know, you have your have your personal taste. However, I think the one thing that working with Jason for for as long as I have, I think, and certainly for me, is we know a great story when we hear one, no matter what genre that it is. And I think that um, that that's that. Those are the shows that go the distance. That. If if you're again, I said it a little earlier, but if you're if you're writing solely on an assignment, or if you're trying to think up something that fits into some preconceived notion of what you think is going to sell or what someone's telling you to write, I just I don't know if that mm-hmm. goes that goes the distance. It mm-hmm. may get you a script and it may get you a pilot and hell, it may even get you a first season. But when you're sitting in a room on episode, you know. 13 and season 4 or season 2 like do you do you, are you still emotionally connected mm-hmm. to that things that you know the, the pitches that are, what Jason and I like to say is this is how we buy a pitch <coughs> fuck yes or no thank you <laughs> and, and, and 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 there's something just very clean about that if you love it Yes. No matter what. No matter you what. You it. buy it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's a pitch that's going to sell because they can walk into a room and say, that's my family, that's me, that's a and story. That's, what I'm it is. that's what's bugging me. And Looking for that access point. So it may be mm-hmm. something I wouldn't watch on my own, but when you're crafting the pitch or the character or the story or the themes, there's an access point that usually you can hone in on and really connect to. And that's actually what's going to propel 
you know, ideally seasons to come. And is that the thing that you guys are able through, you know, once once you've heard that initial pitch, do you help in the development process to yeah, start to bring that forward? Best that's parts of the job. Yeah. The thing to pitch. Right. That's the job. Yeah. It's, the, yeah. it's, one of, it's just one of my favorite parts of the job is to work with a writer on on cracking that initial idea, figuring out how this one thing that they love is a television show and not a movie or not a closed-ended yeah. thing, and then going out and expressing that to a network because every writer is not a natural-born performer, and that's it's a, it's a hard, really? it's a really hard <laughs> job. You have to be able to sit in front of somebody and express that yeah. idea, and that's not that's not that's not easy. And so, part of us is helping them work through that, and I just I love that part of the yeah, job. That's, that's great. great. It's cool. That's great. Uh, all right. Other questions? Who has one? What else you got? Stand up. Hold on. I'm coming back. <laughs> like Phil Donahue. Awesome. Don't uh, touch him. Okay. <laughs> Get electrocuted. Um, my question is kind of with the emergence of Netflix, Amazon, all of them. Have you guys seen over the past couple of years how developments kind of changed? Um, I mean, now with the seasons and the cycles are kind of completely mixed in where people are buying and how people are pitching now? Serialized program, programming to be embraced again. You know, I think, you know, it's where for so long we were in the character-driven procedural or, you know, programming that um, had to go 22 um, and or at least in the broadcast world. I think now the, the benefit of the Netflixes and Amazons and Hulus um, Mari Cable in itself. Broadcast has, has even really embraced that 13, that event-driven, you know, um, content. Um, I will say just in terms of managing those, those streaming devices or, you know, we've got the Bloodline and the Get Down There and uh, Mad Dogs. It's changed a little bit in the sense where you're not working towards the act break, but you're working towards a little bit of a cliffhanger in every episode. So that sort of kind of factor, factors in how you develop the content. Um, you had another question buried in there. What was the? I felt like I, I skipped one. Oh, second, no. You pitched them any? No, actually, one of the hardest parts about our job, especially now in the broadcast season, there is no. There's cycle. no cycle in, in cable or streaming or international co-productions, which we do as well. Um, you know, we're, we can pitch at 34 different places. So, for the most part. You know, it's really silly when a network closes their doors to development. So few of them actually do, but occasionally you'll get one like, oh, we're not hearing pitches right now. And like, why? Okay. <laughs> Everybody else is. Um, so, no, there's no real cycle anymore. Um, they're just... A, yeah, Which, going back to uh, the assistant squad at Sony, they're... Uh, they're, they're going to be keeping these hours year-round. Sorry about that. No, but I, I no. mean, it, it's, it stinks. It really isn't a, there really isn't a, you know, a cycle anymore. Um, is there anything to, you know, with these smaller orders and more outlets to the maybe things lasting a little longer, maybe getting those full 13 episodes mm-hmm. to try out a show? Have we seen that happening yet? I can't think of any. Smaller than 13? Well, well they, like, they, they get, they get a chance when, to go. They, yeah. they get a chance oh, yeah, to at least absolutely. go. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that's one, of, I mean, the, that's one of the benefits. The slap, I think, went all 13. Yeah. I, and I yeah, mean that only in the sense where we are committing to 10 or 13 episodes, and it's, right. you know, you, there's no reason not to allow them all to run. I, I will say, even when 
Kevin Riley was at Fox, I thought he always did a great job. I mean, we had the mob doctor there, which didn't do all that great, but he allowed all 13 to play. And I think, you know, that's where the audience really felt betrayed for so many years, where you yanked these programs off after two or three, sometimes one, <laughs> um, airing. And then, lo and behold, you know, your audience, I can't tell you, I went back for um, a high school reunion, I won't say which one, when we had Last Resort uh, playing, and I had so many friends say I couldn't, I didn't want to watch it yet till I know if it was going to go forward or not. I think finally the networks have sort of caught up to that. So, you know, the good is, yes, or the bad is they're only watering 10 or 13, Game of Silence is only 10, mid-season NBC. I think it's perfect for it. The show is going to be absolutely creatively um, nuanced and, and really riveting as a result. And we also know no matter how it premieres, Bob's playing all 10. Yeah. Right. You know what's also yeah. creatively interesting about working at one of those, you know, uh, working at a network like Netflix that, that, that does a, like a streaming block is that, you know, part of our, you know, part of our job is that when a show is on a, a network that has commercials or it, it airs weekly, sometimes an audience will miss one episode to pick up another right. one. You, right. you know, you're, you start the show on episode four. And so it's the writer's duty to basically teach an audience the, ep- the, the series every single mm-hmm. episode. It's part of the, it's just part of the, what the writer's room has to do. The cool thing about, you know, Bloodline, no one's watching episode, no one's turning on Netflix and watching episode three. They're going to start at the beginning. So what, you know, what the guys were able to do is tell a full story and take their time. Take their time. And take their time. <laughs> no, but, but, no, but, but, but doing it's it, it, it's totally worth it. You should watch it. Um, uh, but, but do, you know, to, 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 you know, to, uh, to craft, you know, a, se- a, a season of television yeah. versus, you know, just episodically. And as, as you say, a satisfying story in those 10, 13 episodes yes, yeah. that you know you're going to get. Uh, other questions? There was someone back here. There was a young woman in the back. Am I wrong? Yeah, good. Enough. <laughs> um, I'll pick you up. Okay, so uh, my question is, when you do find that project that you are super excited about, you are passionate about it, you love it, and you take it out, and for whatever reason, you can't get it to sell, what, what do you do? Well, we, we numerous times have you know, chosen to write it internally um, and then try to package it up. You know, if we really, and again, that's, one of the great things about having so many options of you know who we sell to, if we believe in it, it's we'll write it. Yeah, and and then you'll go back to the places that sometimes, 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 really? sometimes it sits yeah. on a shelf for a while, and then sure. yeah. and then we just bring it back out and yeah. and try again. There we have a we have a drawer of our babies, our babies, <laughs> just babies that just we won't, we won't let go of, <laughs> and. And, and we just wait for some executive to switch jobs and then we <laughs> submit it. There to you the go. <laughs> <laughs> oh True, that is helpful. They just yeah. wrote it last week. It's hot, hot off the presses. <laughs> um, do you want to pitch any of those? Who knows who's listening? No. <laughs> uh, all right. Other questions? Just yell. Stand up and yell. I'm tired. What you got? I'm too old for this shit. Uh, to the writers in the room and the Assistants that work with writers. Mm-hmm. What are some do's and don'ts for being in the room? Maybe a great pitch you heard, maybe a not so great pitch you heard. I'd like to know those. 
<laughs> so young writers pitching to us, what are the do's and the don'ts? You know, I think, uh, young or old, um, you worked on the pitch, so don't be afraid to use your pitch document. You know, it, uh, don't feel like you have to come in and perform it. Uh, honestly, it's like if the, the, one of the hardest things about crafting the perfect pitch is structure. You know, you really need to make it easy on your listener who's heard eight, nine, ten pitches a day, um, depending on the time of year, um, to really streamline the, the listening process. So I think on, on one hand, it's really, I guess, that's two. One, structures are incredibly important in the pitch um, and the way you dole out information. And then the second being, you know, don't be afraid to like, use your notes. You know, and then the hard, hardest part being also to add your personality to it, you know. So you're not just doing this. <laughs> it sort of contradicts one of my points. But, um, yeah, I think there's, so, there's so many more. You know, the, the, uh, at least the, the big headspace is, and I think uh, it was, it's true for actors and writers and everyone who puts themselves out there is to understand the mentality of the person that's sitting across from you is they're rooting for you. Yeah. They're rooting for you. Because if someone comes in and blows us away, then awesome, we get to go home. You know, like we've heard the we've heard the best pitch we've heard all day, and we get to buy it. That makes us very happy. So come in. I think if you if you can shift your headspace to that, um, and to understand that there is you know there's someone across the room who really is invested in your success, because that is that really is the truth. Certainly it is with us. And then and then you know for uh, for television specifically, I think that you understand that. Um, We'll, maybe we can we'll dive a little deep on the pitching process, which is fine. Uh, you can come in and pitch a pilot, okay? But a pilot is one episode out of eighty, hopefully, or more. And that you know, understanding that that <coughs> you could pitch a great you could pitch a great pilot, but it's just an inciting incident for a long arcing show. That's what television is. We're telling entertainment over a great span of time. Don't come in and pitch a movie that has a beginning, middle, and an end. Pitch a series. Talk about character. Talk about journey. theme. Talk about journey. Talk about talk about the the arc of the show. That is what gets us interested in it. And pitch character. That's why you come back. I don't. I, I mean, I defy you to, yeah. to remember any particular episode of your favorite procedural, you know, and some case when really you're coming back to watch those characters interact with each other. And, and you're really... You, pitching tone isn't just saying, oh, it's a dramedy and X meets Y. It's really infusing that tone in the entirety of the pitch. So it's really trying to pitch your characters anecdotally, you know, so you're defining who they are as you describe them. Um, and it's not just a list of adjectives. You know, it's really kind of bringing them to life because it does two things. One, it kind of implies story to come. Um, and also on top of that, you're, every step of the way with your prose, you're defining what the tone is. And so it's that much more of a visceral experience as a listener. When you, know, when you, pitch, when you pitch characters, they all are interacting with each other. Point of view is a big is a you know is a big touch point for us, and we talk about uh, you know a particular character's point of view, their point of view on themselves, mm-hmm. their point of view on their job, or what their you know what the engine of the show is, their point of view on each other. And when you're pitching care, you know a, a, a string of characters or you're the cast of your series, what do they think of each other? 
And what do they think of themselves? And when you're starting to think like that as a writer, uh, that, as Jason just says, that implies story to come. You don't have to then pitch episode three, episode four, episode five. We know what that's going to be because now I understand that love triangle or I understand that conflict or we understand how that thing's all going to fit together in a series. Because, I mean, the reality is, and the question will always be asked, but if you've done your job right in the pitch, we shouldn't have to ever ask, what is What's the, the tone? tone? What is your pilot story? Because we would sort of be able to project the why here, why now, and, and the way you're de- describing and defining the world. And we should never really need to ask, well, where, where does it go? Because that would be in kind of inherent in the way you're breaking it down. You can tell we like We will, though. You can we tell we like, we like this part of the job, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. Um, and I will add to all of what you yeah. said which is really valuable, what you guys touched on before, which is the person telling it has to tell the story. That this is, they're passionate about the story. I, I know yeah. the first, respond to that. For, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this. The first five minutes of a pitch, I mean, sells it. Because that's someone going in and saying, I have to write this. Right. I have to. Because it speaks to me um, and or I'm frustrated by this and I have to tell... I have, I have to write it down. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell you, when writers come in and do that, just to us, to networks, however it is, I don't see how you're not, you don't want to go along for that ride because you know that that's going to be something special. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, you know, these, this is all great pitch technique for <laughs> network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's a lot in there. Like, it's really loaded and mm-hmm. has to be honed. Because you guys are a studio, you often see a, a rawer version of this, right. I would imagine. So Absolutely. how raw can that be? I mean, what, what do you guys see or what can you look for in those rawer pitches? Well, you know, it, it sort of just depends on the time of year and what the objective is. You know, if you're deep in a broadcast season and it's coming really raw, it's a little bit hard to make it to the finish line. But if it's for cable, um, if it's a notion, if it's a, you know, uh, just even the most basic IP, and like, hey, there's something here that really speaks to me, and that doesn't matter. I mean, we don't, we, we operate often sort of like producers, so we don't necessarily have to have it come in completely packaged. Right. But, um, Usually, you do sort of need the why this you know speaks to you, um, what um, what what you're investing, you know what you're connected to emotionally, and so once you know we buy into that, mm-hmm. then <clears throat> we'll be right there with you whether you want it or not, <laughs> or even if you know respect the process either way, yeah. um, and, and kind of stepping it out. Um, and just by way of example, for the pitches that you guys are currently taking out to network. How long have you been working with some of these writers? How long have you been developing these pitches? Some of them. Yeah. A couple months. Yeah. Months. Yeah, I'd say June on for the most part. You know, now with IP being such a huge part of the process, um, which is also a huge part of the the business affairs aspect of it, so you have to kind of build in that timeline. So, you know, we're we're identifying projects a little bit earlier than we used to because we know it's going to take you know one to two months just to secure just, it yeah i mean some That's pitches really we go yeah. out it, it takes six months from or longer from the yeah. first time that it's you know brought to us especially if it's going to be a difficult negotiation with a comic book or a mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, or or a novel that's everybody's so chasing. We don't. We try not to race the clock. So if we believe in it, it doesn't matter, for the most part, if it's something we feel like we can sell right now right. or like next year or six months from now. 
So we, we're buying it just because we believe in it, and we'll figure it out. It's very healthy. Yes. <laughs> Again, that, that's the goal. <laughs> right. Doesn't always, doesn't always work that way. Uh, yes. All right, there are a couple other questions. Yes, stand up and yell. Yes. I mean, honestly, part of the reason why I think we both have been here for so long is because it's very team-oriented. Um, everybody has a point of view, but not to the point where, you know, you, you don't feel like you have ownership. Um, you know, we are really supportive of people, you know, whether it's um, our team taking something and running with it or in past years we were able to take something and run with it and make it our own. Um, but we, it's a really, it's almost like a little mini writer's room in the sense where you're always bouncing things off of each other. Um, in terms of buying, I think that just probably depends where you are. You know, in retrospect, like we sort of had the ability to buy things when we started 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, a certain price point. <laughs> but, you know, that's um, if you, and that's where Sony's always been incredibly just artist friendly, executive friendly, where it's like, all right, if you believe in it, run with it. We've been very lucky to have folks that we work for, um, you know, uh, be really res- you know, respectful and, 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 and understand, you know, when we came in and love something mm-hmm. and let us, you know, let us run with it. Whether they got it or not, you know, and I hope that, you know, Jason and I can do the same thing. Yeah. That's right. Uh, a couple other questions? I know there were some. Yes. Please stand up. I have time to find one. Um, <laughs> they're all fun, but um, yeah. <laughs> what are one or two or a couple current shows on that you guys wish you were responsible for? <laughs> and also, what's your favorite show on right now? Go. That's how I end the podcast. You know that's the last question. Oh, is it really? Oh, no. You just ended it. There you go. And we're done. (laughs) Uh, No, go ahead. Uh, I'm I'm a little late to the game, but I'm absolutely loving Mr. Robot. People keep telling me this. It is fantastic. And it's really blowing me away and inspiring that um, uh, just what they're doing character-wise and tone and and rhythm of storytelling. Um, So that's, that's what I'm really just... In awe over at the moment. Um, I'm gonna say Game of Thrones because that's really straightforward, and I'm not sure that's what a lot of people think. But I, I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, and I mean, I have kids, so I watch a ton of of kids programming, and some of it is just amazing. Um, what is great? Um, Adventure Time is is like the coolest, uh, and, I, and I can't. But but there was just some great long form animation, like you know Avatar, The Last Airbender, and Korra. I mean, it was just stuff that you know not only my kids love, but I just thought was you know completely breaking ground on what you can do in a um, you know in an animated format. Yeah. All right, we can do a couple more. What else we got? There were I, there were some others. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So you said that you guys went from being an actor into development. <laughs> How 
Did yeah. you that transition? What, just like, woke up one day. Yeah, we're just like, <laughs> totally easy, yo. <laughs> Can it go the other way? No, we, I, I mean, certainly for me, I, got, I just got lucky to be able to pick up the phones on, you know, on a development executive's desk. I had a friend who, who was switching jobs from one to another, and I went in and interviewed for it, and, and, I, mm-hmm. and I got hired, and I just, I mean, a lot is luck. But it was a friend who had introduced you. A friend had introduced me to the job, and and it was just supposed to be a temp gig, and it just it it stuck around for a little (laughs) while. Um, But but I think I, I you know I like I said I answered phones for a number of years. There comes a time in your career when you know you really listen. Or I did. I listened to myself and said I I need to do this, and then it was. And it's interesting. Because you'll tell. Are you an actress? No. Yeah, you, you'll tell as you guys are in your offices. There's there there are those of you around that you that you can tell they ha- they have to do this, and it's the same thing with writers. You can tell with writers. You can tell with executives. You can tell you can tell people who have just have just buckled on and said I, I need to do this for my life. And I was lucky that when I <laughs> decided that I really wanted to do it, that I had the opportunity to. And it's I mean. That's uh, I, certainly it's a hell of a lot of luck, and I I don't take that for granted at all. Well, and the the flip side of that is kind of the thing we hear for writers all the time. When the opportunity to continue doing yeah. it uh, for a career comes, you are ready for that. Yes, you know, and that that's put in the time that. on the yeah. you put in the time to be able to. You know, it, I think a lot of us have the same opportunity to get the job. Mm-hmm. There will be some of us who can you know keep the job, mm-hmm. and that's just yeah. I know we touched on it earlier, but was it a similar story that sort of got you in to the first development office? Um, you know, I started, uh, I worked for directors. Mm-hmm. So Paris Barclay was my, my first job. Mm-hmm. And he, at the time, was working um, or had a deal at John Wells. So it was perfect for me <laughs> because I, you know, we were doing ER and West Wing and Third Watch back then. And so I was doing was, extra work on the shows. Yeah. <laughs> and I was bringing Paris coffee and pizza too. Yeah. <laughs> in the uh, Roosevelt room on the West Wing side. Yeah. Um, and so the, the yeah, it was pretty much, you know, I had, I, I was on set watching directors work and, and talking to executives and it just started to slowly click in. In retrospect, I have no idea what took me so long because I was a kid in third grade cre- creating fantasy scheduling. So, like, now when people you know, do fantasy oh football, God. I was literally cutting out the schedule and pitting shows against, in my mind, like, Dallas is going against Dynasty this week, and Dallas is going to win again. I have no you idea. You didn't say that. I was going to, Jason. But that's what I did for, like, hours. So I love this guy. Every week. It was my favorite day of the week was the um, ratings would come out in USA Today in the life section on Wednesday. And I would just play schedule. So why it took me another ten years? Why? That's insane. Sometimes you're just slow. That is unbelievable. Did you have notes for your other for the other third graders on their book report? Yeah, basically. Hang a lantern on that. back here. Yes, sir. Lantern on that. We've had. Oh, this is a question about replacing writers. I, I, I think we're. I don't think we're, we've ever done it on a pilot. We're fortunate enough, I think, in television that you know it. it that's it's certainly much more of a feature a feature game that 
that because the director is the showrunner of a feature, the, they can go through writers until the director gets their vision right. I think in television, we're very lucky, and I think the, it's one of the reasons yeah. why I certainly do television. I know Jason does, so I can speak for him too, that the writer is the showrunner in television, and and that, um, you know, and that, and, and I just think that it, it's it's a much, it's certainly a much better uh, uh, uh you know, version of how it should be, as far as I'm concerned, the person who writes Fade In should be <laughs> should be running. You know, should be running that show. Um, and so, yes, I, I we've had to do it on very very limited occasions. It's not easy, and it and it's and it's unfortunate and it sucks. There, there's something interesting, sort of in that question and answer that you know, Sony hasn't really had to do it. Mm-hmm. But in part because you're not a network. You know, you get to work with these writers mm-hmm. and develop those shows and work over time, ideally, with those writers who created the shows. This year especially, and this is all conjecture at this point, but this year especially we've seen a lot of showrunner turnover mm-hmm. on network shows. Why do you think that is? Because I think they're picking up ideas and not visions. Mm-hmm. I need more. That was I think they're picking up what they feel like they can market and that may or may not break through the clutter or um, opposed to picking up something that has an actual point of view and philosophy behind it. And that's I don't mean that in a disrespectful way of the shows that have that has happened on. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying in general, yeah. I think there's much more and this is true in cable now too, unfortunately. There's such um a desire to make have everything break through. And again, there's thirty four different places. So how are you going to be heard? It's gotta have a huge star or a big idea, something that's gonna attract eyeballs. And so when when everybody's trying to do that then at a certain point, you know, you're not listening and the story that needs to be told or, you know, the journey or the mm-hmm. themes that are going to be explored. You're looking at, you're turning into the movie business. What's the billboard? And so when that's what you're chasing, then that's, you're going you're gonna to find yourself in that position a lot. There's so many shows on the air and every, you know, all the ones, they, ha- they have to be run. And I think that there's... You know that I think it's, it's unfortunate that when it when it doesn't work sometimes, but that is part of putting together a family. And sometimes it doesn't like everyone's not seeing sure. the same the same gig. And when that happens, I mean, you've, again, you got to be honest and try and figure out what's what's the problem with it. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, let's not end on that down. No, gosh, no. <laughs> jeez. Stand up. I don't think it's the specifics of the future episodes as much as it is the depth of the character. So we know that the relationships um, or the journey of each individual character is going to provide that. I mean, obviously you want to know, uh, or not so obviously, but you want to know sort of what your spine is in season one and what's really going to pull you through it. You know, what's your inciting incident? What's going to um, pull you to that 13th or 22 episode? And and for the most part, kind of what's going to propel you into season two? Um, And that's, for the most part, you know, if you've done your job in pitching the characters and the relationships, I think that's all you you sort of need. I mean, if it's 
if it's truly a serialized show that's all about the mythology, you're going to need a lot more um, to really make it feel like there's enough story to be had. That pitch is tough to hear, too, that highly serialized yeah. show. Well, you know what, though? I mean, look, and I, I should not be saying this because I do not encourage it, <laughs> but Bloodline was like an hour and 45-minute long pitch. Really? Yeah, and it was captivating. Oh, it was like they were telling you or reading you a novel. Um, and that's why a pitch was picked up to straight to series. Um, so, you know, Notches Burning, which is this, you know, two scripts with Tobey Maguire attached and David Hudgens over at Amazon, that was like an hour and ten minute pitch. Um, and it was just, it's again, we don't necessarily encourage that for like 98% of the people out there. <laughs> but, but for these projects. These projects, they're yeah. epic storytelling, maybe Bloodline doesn't present as epic, but in terms of the family nuance and mm-hmm. that familial dynamic, sure. that was Beautiful. the goal. And um, so, you know, just sort of depends on where you are in your career and what the idea is. Uh, all right. I think there was one more. Yes. Just, yeah. That's what I said. <laughs> what you got? <laughs> Go ahead. Stand up, please. Um, so a bunch of big wigs in the TV band, I think John and I grabbed specifically <laughs> So a small question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I definitely don't think we are at the peak. You know, um, I, I think there's um, a lot more TV to be had, and and um, it is overwhelming. I'm not going to deny that. Um, but I, I think it really comes down to. You know, there's. It comes down to. Sounds generic, and I don't mean to it, but just all of us keeping each other in check on what we are programming. You know, so it's if there's a reason to have to have the story told, then it definitely should be given an opportunity and an outlet. Um, I think you know, the trick is right now. Television shows episodically are costing so much money. And I do think that's going to catch up to us. Um, but that may not be a bad thing. I mean, I think the, the reality is, I think if you're captivated by the story or by the characters, you don't care if it's $4 million an episode or if you're living in the HBO or Netflix world, you know, 6 to $8 million an episode. You just care about that, those characters and that story and that journey. So I think, if anything, the, the good in what he's referring to, which I totally understand, is that it may self-correct a tad. And as a result, we may kind of the industry may start to spend a little bit less money on the programming, and then we can kind of kind of like film industry in the late '70s. Mm-hmm. You know, you continue that that character-driven, like you know, the smaller, more intimate stories. Well, what, what's exciting about it is that there's you know there's so many new networks that are that are trying out. They're, they're trying to grab attention, and they're doing something. They're doing really interesting yeah. new television, and so I mean, who would have thought Mr. Robot would come from USA a year and a half yeah. ago, a year ago? I mean, that's incredible that it's that's inspired a, them to do, to be that bold. Yeah, sorry, and, and it's great. I mean, John does it, you know, yeah. two or three times a year. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he does it nearly better than better than anybody because he understands that you know, the brand of his network and the shows, you know, that that come out there, and you know, that's why his shows are amazing. You know. Um, there are some networks that are just trying to swing at it, mm-hmm. and I think that um, 
you know, I think that that probably will catch up with them if they don't have a if they're not trying to develop towards more of a brand. I think the audience can sense yes. that. Yeah, for sure. Um, let me ask you. Let me wrap up by asking you because my "What are you watching?" question was taken. <laughs> uh, let me ask you guys. Did you have a gateway TV show? What was stuff when you were young that you loved and like has continued to sort of influence you? What do you chase? Like I'm always chasing the X Files. I'm always oh, okay. chasing. Well, that, that's Cheers. a different question. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like these yeah. are the things I want to. If I could do the X Files plus Cheers, that would be my favorite show. That's funny. <laughs> I, I I I grew up watching Twilight Zone and Star Trek and Next Generation, and I just I mean that's 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 the that's the, that's it for me. I mean to sit down with my son who's ten or my daughter who's six and and to watch episodes of Star Trek with them and Doctor Who and like that. It's that's why I, I do television. I think the first time I recognized. Um, First time I recognized, you know, a real quality in television was was a show called Moonlighting, and I watched. I remember watching that with my parents, and mm-hmm. and how just how brilliant it was, and how brilliantly written it was, and I thought, well, then, you know, I think that was when the light came on on that there were actually people who wrote words for, you know, for television. Uh, but it'll always be Twilight Zone and Star Trek for me. I mean, it just that's that's what it is. I think the the gateway in terms of wanting to be involved in entertainment was Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Empire specifically because that was so um, much more character and relationship driven. I mean, I cried when Darth was. <laughs> I love you, Luke. <laughs> he didn't believe it. We I just had this debate last week. He I didn't did, believe I it, didn't and I'm like it. sobbing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> I denied it. No, he denied it. He went through. Yeah. So I think you know it's it's odd because I am such a TV guy, would, um, more yeah. so so much more so than film. But that is really like those are the moments in my life where that that changed who I was. Please give a round of applause. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you guys. I mean, good luck with everything. To spend, you know, to come out here and spend the night, where coming out and seeing us, I, we really, really appreciate that. We thank, know how long thank you guys, guys. Work. You guys are working, especially. I mean, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. Now leaving Nerdist.com.